The car you drive every day should be fun. But it has to do the boring stuff too, like commute, be affordable, and haul your groceries. You can have both, and we'll help you find it. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Today. Browsing around on the Porsche North Scottsdale website. Oh, hi, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Stop it. You Happy must to have you stop. <laughs> Happy to have you with us. We're thrilled, and I'm really looking forward to this podcast. We always look forward to them yeah. all. But we're doing a, something a little bit different in our efforts to continually mix it up and bring you fresh stuff and fresh mm -hmm. content. Yep. Along yep. with future guests, we're turning Tuesdays into Topic Tuesdays. And from mm -hmm. us, you're going to be hearing a lot of different topics that Todd and I are going to be discussing, as in today, winter driving. It's perfect. We're yep. right in the middle of the season. I can't wait oh, to talk about we, yeah. some funny stuff uh, that I just observed driving around today. No kidding. Yeah. But, man, things like, you know, all kinds of price categories for cars, a Would You Rather series, a Best Of series, you know, best mm -hmm. hot hatches, best car movies, best car racing movies, best racetracks. A worst yep. of series, a debate series, and then a how-to series as well. How to Drive in Winter kicks it off for this podcast, mm -hmm. and I'm looking forward. It's going to be fun. Definitely. I mean, I'm glad we're doing this, and this is this has sprung out of things that you guys have said. I mean, here's the thing that, that all of you listening have to know. We are absolutely listening. No matter if you're writing into us directly, if you're putting a review on iTunes, which we would love for you to do, we're reading all that stuff. And the reason that the podcast has done the morphing and changing that it's done in the nearly three years it's existed so far has been because of you guys interacting with it. And what's happened is Paul and I have seen consistent question, topic questions come across to the point that Paul actually started making a list of them. And we looked at the list the other day and went, that's enormous. So, you know, if you have a topic you'd like us to, to riff on or to talk about, we're happy to do that. I will then give my big caveat, though. I'm sure we'll get stuff wrong on all of these. I'm sure we will. I, <laughs> I know I'm sure we will. there will be those of you that will write in and go, why didn't you say that? And half the time we will smack ourselves and say, that was stupid. Why didn't we bring that up? But the, the whole point here is to talk about some of the larger topics that may not get touched on directly in a car debate. And so that will be something we'll add on Tuesdays. Now, we're still going to do a car debate tonight, uh, but we're not going to do two. We're just going to do the topic, and then we're going to do a car debate uh, for a friend that is actually local here in uh, the Salt Lake area that wrote into us. Paul wrote into us, not the Paul that you're hearing I do the podcast with, a different Paul wrote in from Ogden around here, and uh, he has a, wants to trade up his car for something new and more fun. So it's cool to talk about winter driving and then talk about somebody that is actually doing it here locally. Yep, exactly. So another Paul S., even though I am Paul S., but we've got, uh, yeah, Paul, thanks for writing in. But before we jump to that, I want to talk a little bit about a couple of things here that's come across our radar about Amazon, mm -hmm. first off. Amazon Automotive yeah. and now Amazon Vehicles, it's like the reviews of any product. Cars are big, expensive products, really, if you think about it. Yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, it's all the reviews on these cars so all you have to do is do all the search, all the typical search stuff, but it seems uh, mm. like a new way of searching and, and doing research. And so I thought, all right, let's try this out. I went to BMW and clicked on a 1990 BMW M3 and pressed the one-click purchase <laughs> button. And apparently it's going to be, oh, no. you know, since I've got two-day prime <laughs> shipping, it'll be at my house soon. It just, you know, 80 grand on, on the credit card, so... They're going to drop it by a drone, yeah. and uh, yeah. thanks to prime, prime free shipping, it'll be here anytime, yeah, barring bad weather. Well, but, <laughs> but, but you are speaking you're, – you're joking about something that is legit. I mean, Amazon is getting into, as they sell, of course, everything on the planet. And, you know, we've joked before about the fact that, you know, here they have the Grand Tour, but the last thing Amazon needs is one of their original TV shows to be successful. That's the last thing they need <laughs> because they sell everything. Right, right. I, I got to the beginning of January of this year, and we had so many – boxes from Amazon due to Christmas and shipping stuff around, I practically couldn't pull my car in the garage. It was insanity. So, you know, I mean, Amazon already really knows my address. But the thing that they're changing into is they are starting to partner with the same parts companies that your local auto parts store partners with. So what that means is instead of going into name your local auto parts store, instead of going in there, you can get on Amazon and have it shipped to you. Yep, that's a fascinating twist because because that's one of the last th those auto parts stores are one of the last places that are like counter walk up folks, and yet Amazon is horning into that as well. 
Let's see, I need a new hair dryer, some more coffee, a 2015 BMW i8, add to cart, and we're good. I need an LSD for my <laughs> 1973. Yeah, anyway, yeah, it's ridiculous. It's so funny. Uh, yeah, so th- that happened, as well as uh, Walmart sniffing around the car business, too. Did you see this? They're mm-hmm. getting into the I car did. business, along with AutoNation and other dealers, apparently, rolling this out yeah. to four markets to begin with. Houston, where you grew up, Dallas, Phoenix, yep. and Oklahoma City at these Walmart supercenters. So this is the new digital platform you can finance, insure, and you know get your car through Walmart now. It's an all-in-one kiosk. You go up and you can buy the car, new or used, by the way. You can buy the car, schedule insurance, kind of do the entire transaction, and then Walmart is essentially acting like a broker. They're getting a fee to then hand you off to a dealer that has that car. But, I mean, everything is becoming this one-stop shopping weird world, but the thing that I find fascinating about this is Walmart, of all places, offering you the opportunity to just avoid the standard dealer experience and do you want the car or not? So you got to do your research. you got to know what you want. But, uh, yeah, jumping right in, uh, Walmart sells everything too, like Amazon. I hate to say it, though. I, exactly. It, they're, the, they're the actual brick-and-mortar version of Amazon, let's be honest. But, yeah. but I, I also can't imagine that the person shopping for a car at Walmart is all that car savvy. Maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like that's really not where they're going to find the people that are going to walk up and do that. But all of this suggests kind of a seismic shift in how we buy and deal with cars in general. I mean, it's taking, I hate to say it, but the the thing that annoys people the most about cars seems to be when they have to deal with someone else. I don't want to go to the dealer and talk to the guy that's going to try to hard sell me. And I don't want to go to the auto parts store and talk to the guy about what part I need. Both of those are kind of sidestepped in these equations. That's fascinating. Yeah, I wonder if Walmart was feeling left out because Costco already has the car buying program. They're really successful, and the article says here they sell more than 1,000 new vehicles a year just through Costco Mm. alone. So I'm wondering if Mm. Walmart thought, all right, we can do it different. We can do it better. Maybe there's a market that we're not capitalizing on. Just the thing that we needed Walmart to do was sell more stuff. Is Walmart going to sell China cars? I'm just wondering. Cars from China? Mm. Anyway. But the other thing I'm wondering is does Costco allow you to buy cars in bulk? Can you, like, fill a garage of 15 cars by going to Costco? Do you get a big discount? Maybe, like, a a, a 15-pack of Corollas? That'd be handy. Exactly. (laughs) Said no one ever. (laughs) I'm not sure for what, but... A 15-pack of Corollas. I have disposable (laughs) Corollas available. You want to wreck a car? Come over. Take one of my Corollas. I got them at Costco. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. Well, transitioning over to the new how-to series or, uh, you know, any of these Topic Tuesdays, I will say the side note here, the how to do burnouts will be the shortest podcast ever because we're just going to tell you to buy a Hellcat and be done with it. But uh, we'll start here with how to drive in winter. And funny enough, since we mentioned last time, Sundance is now in full effect in Mm -hmm. Park City. I want to add how to dress in winter because I notice people walking around with the Sundance lanyards. I know they're seeing films. And I'm thinking, yeah, you haven't yeah, yeah. heard of North Face or, you know, just a big coat and a hat and some boots because that's not working out. And it was blizzard conditions today. It's it really was. rare. It really was. I mean, yeah. things were just nearly at a halt because of Sundance traffic and yeah. the blizzard conditions, you know, just in general back things up. And it goes right by the school and all this stuff. So I was just. <laughs> it was near whiteout conditions all day long. Yeah. I mean, I, I went for a drive in the FRS actually today, actually a little bit of shooting with it and was out in the snow and enjoying it and actually thinking about the fact we were doing this topic on the podcast and thought how appropriate. But it, it was one of those massive winter driving days. And you're also seeing a lot of a lot of trucks driving around that are, I mean, when I say trucks, I mean like Suburbans and Yukons and that kind of stuff that are Uber drivers or local transportation companies oh, yeah. that are yeah. making their year right now shuttling Sundance folks around. And the problem with Sundance and winter uh, clothing, as you were bringing up, is Sundance has a Hollywood fashion element about it. You want to be seen. <laughs> well, if you want yeah. to be seen, you either bought the most expensive, ridiculous ski gear that you're never, ever going to use in L.A. ever, but you're going to use it this one week, or you just decided, I'm going to dress like I'm in L.A., and I'll put a light jacket on. 
This week, that was a bad choice (laughs) because you're just getting hammered. But that definitely is the Sundance thinking. But but all of this comes back around to, you know, you may have seen our rear-wheel drive in the snow piece last uh, last winter. It's actually playing really well again this winter. We want to do a follow-up on that now that we're obviously driving the FRS again through another winter. And I drove it around all day today, and it was kind of nuts out there. Uh, But the thing is, the first misconception that we've talked about before, and we need to hit it again here, is forget about the term snow tires. Think about winter tires. Think about tires where when your temperatures are consistently below 50, certainly when they're below 40. Mm-hmm. 50, okay, maybe you're, you're middle ground there, but certainly below 40. If, you're, if your conditions get below 40 and hang out there for a few months at a time, the rubber compound is different on winter tires. And don't worry about if you get snow or not. That that stickier rubber compound is helpful. The downside is when it gets above 50, up in the 60s, et cetera, you're now sawing through those tires. But if you are living anywhere where you have those cold conditions, you're not getting good traction out of your all seasons and certainly not your summers. So we highly, highly recommend tires. It's the number one thing to do. I know we beat on that like crazy, but I was out in the Blizzaks today. In, I was in the blizzard in the, on the Blizzaks, and it was awesome. <laughs> Apropos. It was awesome. Well, I will uh, I'll address the elephant in the room, and I have mentioned this before on the podcast, and that is I have not yet purchased winter tires for the Cayman. I yes. just I haven't thrown down for that yet. That means a separate set of wheels and tires because I don't want to go twenties. Mm-hmm. I'd like eighteens with you know a little bit thicker sidewall, you know, a little more meat on the tire there. Mm-hmm. And I have admitted to taking it out twice so far during winter, but I will say it's been only when the sun's been shining. And the roads are clear and dry. That's important. I don't want to get into the sloppy stuff. But the roads are clear and dry, and I have taken it out. Baby needed exercise, and I I admit. (laughs) But I I am adamant. I'm still adamant about the winter tires as we're talking about. This is not a once in a while. I'm not driving the car all the time. It's not a commuter thing. You know, I'm not – sliding around like you're doing in the FRS kind of thing. It's yeah, uh, it yeah, was yeah. just clear and dry. So it's very once in a while, I admit. But, you know, this is a, a classic case of uh, I have noticed such a difference being in the Jeep <laughs> than sure. the Cayman. Yeah. And those the winter tires are just – they're champs. They're just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Although I, I will say I was overjoyed to get stuck in my driveway today. I was so happy. You can't even believe it. So I thought, finally, finally. So all I had to do was put her in neutral and 4x4 low, and I lifted it up on the air suspension. And then, admittedly, the Jeep is pretty awesome in the snow. It is. Oh, yeah. I have no doubt. It's unfazed. It promptly got itself unstuck with with zero drama. But it was kind of fun to be like, oh, finally I'm stuck. Let's see what this thing can do. There's a write-up that I actually did a little while back about some driving tips in the winter, and actually later this week, a Chance is dropping one about driving sports cars in the snow that you should read as well. That's coming up soon on, on our website. We'll let you know about that. But there are three main uh, winter tires that I feel like we've heard the most good things about. And, of course, we talk up the Bridgestone Blizzaks. You may not be able to get them in your car size or your area or whatever. They could be back-ordered. I don't know. So there's that. The Michelin X-Ice or Ice-X, I think it's X-Ice, they're on like X-Ice 3. Those typically test really close to the Blizzax. It's like they trade off different, slightly on different uh, features and tests, which one does better. So they're a really good alternative. And then also, there is this this company called Nokian. Look Mm -hmm. up the name. It starts with an H. Look up the name that is about 45 characters long and 13 syllables. Look up the name of whatever that tire is that are full winter tire. I have never heard anything but fantastic things about those. Really? I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. So those are ones I've also heard about. In fact, when my Blizzax wear out, I'm seriously considering getting the Nokians because I'd like to have personal experience with them. Which leads me to another kind of headline on this, and that is a few of you have asked before about performance winter tires. My feeling, honestly, is who cares? Get Mm -hmm. standard winter tires because you're not out – you're you're trying to do too many things. Now, this is if you're getting real conditions like we get, okay? For all of you in Canada, hello. Yes, your snow is worse than ours. But anyway, the the thing is – the thing is, you may I, I run WS80s, which is a standard Blizzak. It's not a high-performance Blizzak. And I'm very much of the, of the thinking that you may as well just get the standard winter tire and use that because you're not, you're not trying to do anything that is high-performance driving. You're trying to get traction. So you may as well just get the standard ones. Right. Agreed with that. You're not trying to do cornering. You're, you're dealing with reduced grip as it is. 
the tire itself is trying to get you back to where you were, and then you're trying to add mm -hmm. stuff on top mm -hmm. of that. Not necessarily recommended. I mean, I, I don't know that even a performance winter tire exists for, for sports cars, and winter tires are great as it is. Like the WS80 is the standard Blizzak, but there is some sort of Blizzak alternative that Bridgestone makes that is more the high-performance winner. Oh, okay. I want the okay. tread. I want well, the tread. Yeah. I, give me traction above all else. That's what I want. And the thing that I was noting today when I was driving the FRS around is it, I'm in the perfect balance scenario in that car where if I do things right, and we should talk about what that means as well, but if I do things right, I just don't lose traction. Mm -hmm. But if I want to lose traction at all, I can go do it. I just I have the full option by just how I drive the car. It's either oh look full traction or oh look none, and I can decide that based on my own inputs, which I feel like for a winter situation is the perfect place to be. I was talking with a gal today, and uh, we were just discussing you know winter driving conditions in general, and she was from North Carolina, and she said. Honestly, there it just turns to ice, and she said, "I'm used to driving mm, there mm. before I moved to Park City, and you know, you just don't even mm. want to venture out." And I said, "Well, sure. you know, the good thing here is you actually do get traction on snow. Now, yes, when it does yeah. turn to ice, that you know, all bets are off. You really have to be super, super careful. But with snow like this, and it's coming down hard, you actually do have a fair, fair bit more traction." than you would initially mm -hmm. think. So that's a good thing. But you have to combine that with the winter tires. And uh, speaking of what's right and <laughs> what's not, you know, how to do things, how to not, I'm driving into town today, and I can tell who's got winter tires and who doesn't. <laughs> it's, it's very easy to tell, and you can almost tell by yeah. just the rental cars alone. Interestingly, in Germany, rental cars are equipped with, rental t with uh, winter tires even through yeah. April. Which floored yeah. me. I thought, why not? This seems so logical. And mm -hmm. the rental cars at a Salt Lake airport just aren't. And you, you think. Yeah, and, which and, is shocking. And they'll say, well, we can upgrade you to a, a 4x4 or a pickup. And I thought you might uh, tell the good folks about how many 4x4s you've seen in the ditch as you've cruised past them in your winter tire equipped FRS, your little tiny low slung sports car. I saw a guy in a lifted F-350, lifted F-350, with some of the meanest-looking summer tires you could imagine. Now, they were the big, knobby summer tires. Why do I know they were summer tires? As I went by him at nearly freeway speeds on, a, on an icy road. I know they were summer tires because he was sideways, nearly tipped over in the ditch, with all four wheels spinning and wondering why. Oh, my gosh. Oh uh, tires and, and and back to the rental thing i i honestly from a just maintaining the fleet perspective i don't understand why rental car companies here in salt lake and i'm assuming they do it in denver too why don't you put winter tires on your car you're going to have fewer cars come back wrecked yeah i mean it's an upfront cost of course and they say well, i don't we've get got it all the cars or have separate sets of wheels and tires or whatever but on the other hand yeah, because people don't think. And even driving habits of people no. who live in Utah, no. you think, why aren't you buying winter tires? And you've got to increase your braking mm -hmm. distances. And I'm noticing mm -hmm. people are pulling right up behind me as if it were summer, hot, dry pavement. And I'm thinking, really, kind of back it off. You know, Give us all more distance because you never know mm -hmm. who's going to slide into you behind you and then knock you into me and cause the chain yeah. reaction. That does happen Start all the pool. time. Yeah, it does. It does. You're right. And, you know, there was that one time I think I told you about there was that Dodge Charger, obviously a rental car. There's one place on uh, Interstate 80 here near us that we, we some people actually call it Crash Corner because if you're going to have a wreck trying to get to Park City from Salt Lake, it's going to be that corner. And if they're going to close the freeway, it's because somebody wrecked on that corner. And it's one of the only places in this kind of between nothing section of, of Interstate 80 where they suddenly have streetlights. Well, guess why they have streetlights there? Because everybody wrecks there. But I mean, I remember seeing a rental Dodge Charger. It, it's, it's, a, it's a right turn that's got a little bit of, a, of a, a, a camber to it, and it starts to go up a hill. The hill increases there. I remember seeing a Charger that all, its rear wheels were just spinning, and it was clearly a rental car, but it was pointed kind of if you think about it, pointed vertically up the banking, if that makes sense, instead of along the banking. Oh. It was up the banking. And it was sliding sideways with his rear wheels going. And it was like this sideways rolling roadblock. We all had to figure out when he gets clear enough, we'll get by. Of course, rental car, all seasons. It's very, very common. And, and it's sad, too. Unbelievable. 
Well, as I said, the Jeep's been doing really awesome. It's equipped with cleaner tires. It's heavy. It's got the ground clearance. And it's got this mm-hmm. snow mode with the uh, the center diff here. So I just reach down with my right hand and put it over in snow mode. And I understand that it throws more torque to the front wheels, which kind of, you know, it's like a dart at that point. So it's like a 60-40 split mm. front rear, I think. Mm. Okay. And, of course, starts you out in second gear. And with those tires, it just it feels unstoppable. It just kind of cruises sure. through whatever. Yeah. Even turns, and I think, okay, I've still got – okay, there's the edge right there. But yeah, it's yeah, yeah. impressive. And I – for as much as I don't like the steering rack groaning, I think it's an electric rack kind of thing <laughs> that I need to get fixed. I really do. But, uh, the, yeah, the Jeep has been really – winter is its thing. It's been really awesome. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, you've played to its strengths now, yeah. <laughs> I got stuck. Woohoo! Finally. Let's see what this thing can do. And it just – it shrugged it off. It was very much of a non-issue. But it was nice to know. You know, it was just kind of fun to, fun to do that. When I was out driving today, I actually went – I actually sought out – because I was running, running cameras a little bit. I actually sought out some roads that weren't that well cleared and just kind of drove the car in that and talked about what it does and talked about what the thing I was mentioning earlier, which is the car has traction until the moment I decide to not have it. Give, uh, right, traction. Right. And of course, I did the idiotic thing. You know, I, and I, it's the it's the automotive equivalent of hold my beer and watch this. It's the I'm going <laughs> to turn off traction control and everything will be fine. I did that today in the FRS, and I went around a 90 degree corner, and I did exactly what you're not supposed to do. And I'll come back to this, and that is halfway around the corner, I punched it. Well, guess what happens? The back comes around. I mean, I did it on purpose. Don't get me wrong. I intended to happened. do it. Yeah, but the back comes around. And so then I backed off the throttle about halfway, and it started re- correct because I was correcting it. It started correcting what it overcorrects, and I subconsciously did that thing we discuss. The car follows your eyes; it follows your eyes. Yeah. And as it started to overcorrect, I did the classic instinctual thing you're not supposed to do, and I darted my eyes to the side of the road to see how far away the side of the road was, to see how far away the berm was. Right. And right. it's the the split second I did that, I noticed the car is now going that way, and I. I actually intellectually thought, where do you want to go? And I looked to my lane, countered, corrected, car fell in line. So I want to say two things off of that story. I mean, I just experienced the thing we talk about. No sudden moves is a huge thing. I did a sudden move on purpose to to show what it did. But don't make sudden moves when you drive in the winter. Everything needs to be very gradual. And know that wherever you're looking, the car will go. That, That happens on a racetrack even. That is one of the most universal things. But if you are worried about, I'm going to hit the berm, and you're staring at the berm, congratulations, you're about to meet the berm. <laughs> we talked about this all summer long when we were mountain biking. Uh-huh. Is there a rock yeah, in the yeah. middle of the trail or a stump? If you look at the stump, you're going to hit the stump. It just absolutely. plain and it, simple. It applies across the board. Absolutely true. You're absolutely right. <laughs> we're and I, you know, we're I laughing thinking. about this. Well, I, I hit the thing mm-hmm. back there. and Were you looking at it? Yeah. Yeah. Don't yeah. look at it. I just followed my eyes right into the stump, nearly <laughs> fell over. Perfect. Why don't I not look at the stump next time? I mean, it, it tracks through all of these kind of things. The body just follows the eyes. So there is that. And then I was even actually coming down a pretty steep hill today. I went up to Olympic Park, by the way, Paul. Oh, nice, And nice. I was coming down a pretty steep hill. And instead of riding the brakes or hitting the brakes to slow down, I was engine braking because mm-hmm. that just keeps – all of the grip very consistent. I don't need to do much braking because, of course, as I got into the brakes, I could start to feel the anti-lock brakes starting to work and the traction trying to kind of find itself because I'm making a change. Sudden changes are going to cause you to lose grip in winter conditions. I mean, they do, period, if you go fast enough. But in winter, it's so exaggerated that you don't want to make sudden moves. And that's where that engine braking for steady steady state uh, acceleration or or even braking in this case and really easy braking and tons of room, like you were saying, Paul. You want to change lanes? Take four times longer to change lanes than you ever would before. Yeah. Talk about a drift. <laughs> uh, you want to yeah. drift another lane very slowly. Not the fun kind of drift. I mean drift as in it's happening slowly. I'm glad you brought up the engine braking aspect because it brings up the auto versus manual in the snow, and you were definitely using that to your benefit. But so was I today. And as you mm. know, the Jeep's oh, got the eight-speed transmission, but it's got the paddles as well. Mm-hmm. And almost yeah. everywhere I drove today, obviously at lower speeds, first of all, you can't couldn't see more than 50 yards maybe. I mean, at yeah. best. Visibility was awful. It was amazing. So I just, you know, clicked the paddles and I was down between second second and third everywhere. I mean, maybe mm. fourth. But what I noticed sure. is people behind me because they wouldn't see my brake lights. If I'm in third and I jump off oh, the gas, I've got engine braking working 
with the four-wheel drive, with the winter tires. Sure. I've got yeah. so much grip, and I haven't even touched the brakes. So people see my mm-hmm. car slow down, and they're, they're counting on seeing brake lights. Well, here I am using engine braking instead. And even at mm, slow speeds, I'll, I'll go way down to yeah, second yeah. and do the same thing and kind of, you know, force it as if I'm doing the manual, you know, manual shifting, which I am. And sure. it's kind of taken people by surprise because my car's slowing and I'm in control, but people haven't seen brake lights. And people are just – they're just used to seeing brake, brake lights. And mm-hmm. all these habits that we get into, you kind of notice they, they sort of manifest themselves when you drive differently on purpose – and I'm I'm noticing reactions around me when I just I let off and the car huh. instantly is yeah yeah it's almost like a Jake brake or something it just <laughs> you know slows yeah, the car yeah, yeah. dramatically but I haven't even touched the brakes and it's uh, it, it's super helpful of course I mean you know coming down the hill whatever that is but even cars who have stopped quickly in front of you and they're slamming on the brakes that kind of thing I'll just use engine braking. And then ease into the brakes, and it's slamming. It's slamming on the brakes is probably not going to end well in any kind of winter driving conditions, and and that's the biggest thing you want to avoid. You don't. You want to avoid any kind of abrupt movement because those abrupt movements are going to break traction faster than you can even faster than you can even correct. It's just going to happen, and then you're going to realize I'm out of time, and that's going to be a problem. Well, we've noticed the uptick in viewership with the FRS in the snow, which was a piece filmed last year. But interestingly, now that it's wintertime again, it's getting a lot of viewership and a lot more comments. Uh, it's just come around. And of course, Chance has one, too. And uh, it seems like we need to do more stuff with your car in the snow and just talk about mm-hmm. you know, ground clearance and you know a little bit more. Here, I'm deliberately doing the thing you shouldn't, and then let's get yeah. out of it. Yeah, let's, yeah. let's test our reactions and test things and... And, uh, yeah, it just kind of seems like people are picking that up again and, and watching it, which is cool. Yeah, it is cool. And there was the, there was the moment today, actually, I, when, I, when I left my house this morning, my driveway, my neighbor actually has a huge, huge blade. And he does his driveway and my driveway, thankfully. And it was snowing so hard, even though he'd gone down the drive, it was already packing up again. But I got off the driveway. It was no big deal. That's fine. The problem with my car actually getting down the drive is clearance. And then our street hadn't, the actual street out front hadn't been plowed yet. So I actually was kind of just scraping the snow the whole way down the street clearance-wise. When I got back, they'd plowed our street, which sounds awesome until you realize there was now about (laughs) two and a half foot berm to get into my driveway. And I'm in my car. So I I, I literally just kind of turned perpendicular, you know, so to the the road. I was aiming into my driveway and just punched it because the front of the FRS, if you ever think about it, is the shape of of a snow shovel. So I just snow shoveled half the berm down my drive as I punched through with my FRS to get to my uh, garage. And uh, that was the end of my adventure for the day. But but, uh, hey, at least I got here. That was good. At one point, my wife went out and came back and said, yeah, if you go anywhere else today, you should take the Cayenne because she was just having clearance issues in the Cayenne getting down our drive later in the day. Yeah, and as great as the low-slung, low-center-of-gravity car, you know, that is your FRS, it is nice to have the ground clearance. I mean, the same thing happened to me, as I said. The big, huge plows came by and made a huge berm, and the driveway was unplowed still at that point because all the plows are, of course, overwhelmed with the snowfall. Yeah, they are. And so I got myself unstuck, but you had to just get yourself some ramming speed, which works too. (laughs) I did. You know, I did. with my snow shovel front end, it's like, look, it does work. Anyway, yeah. So there's there's kind of an overview of winter driving. Hopefully, that's been a little bit helpful, and hopefully, some of you aren't screaming at the uh, at your headphones or your uh, or your uh, phone and actually saying, "Why didn't you mention this?" Which you might be, but uh, but hopefully, that's been a little bit helpful. Many of you have asked about winter driving, and we just we're going to say the same things over and over: no abrupt, no abrupt moves, tires, and eyes. Those are the biggest things. And we are a huge believer in get the car you want, don't buy a car for weather. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah. because of tires and good driving, you can drive, I mean, anything kind of anywhere. So let that be less of a concern. I think it's my obligation to ski soon. We need to go skiing and take advantage of all this powder. Yeah, we do, for sure. I actually have taken my FRS. I think I, I took a photo of it last year. I took my FRS to the ski mountain one day. I dropped the rear seat. And oh, that's right. I, and I wear long. I wear long skis. I mean, like 188s. Okay, so if you know anything about skis, I mean they're essentially six foot long skis. But it was no big deal. I actually thought they were going to work, reach their way too far into the cabin, so I couldn't shift without hitting my elbow. No, no, they just they were fine. They reached through what would be the back seat, but the back seat was dropped. I got all the gear for myself and my son into the FRS and drove it to the ski mountain. 
And there's my ridiculous orange child sports car sitting among all the SUVs <laughs> yeah. while the, snow, the parking lot's getting snowed on. I love that. That made me happy. That's so cool. All right. Well, we will jump to the car debate for this podcast, which is Paul, as we mentioned. He is in Ogden, Utah, and I thought this would really tie in because he's asking for yeah. something to commute in the snow. I mean, he's kind of asking about a car for weather, a fun car. Do I keep what I have and add something? But he's got mm-hmm. – uh, he's 30. He's married, two kids. And he's got a Kia Sedona that he purchased for his wife, so the Kia minivan from 2015. And she really loves it, which is great. I'm glad you picked the Sedona yep. over the Odyssey or the Sienna. Value is a huge part of it. We agree. I mean, styling is actually yeah. not too bad. I mean, Kia, I'm all about Kia. It's so funny. I, I love the cars at the high end, but somehow Kia has this little place <laughs> in my heart. And now with their new Stinger, you got to admit, Kia's, Kia's bringing it. They're, they're not... Not uncool. I'll put it that way. We have to figure out. Somebody actually had a question on. I think it was Facebook. Somebody had a question on one of the social media things that we we are taking questions from all of them now. So thank you. Somebody actually said that they really think you ought to get a Kia Soul in the in the garage to, to replace that. the Jeep, so you've got more money to, to burn burn on the Porsche, <laughs> and, uh, and 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 that would be the ultimate Paul endorsement garage because you talk about the Kia Soul and then you talk about Porsche and have a both would be hysterical. But I mean that's the thing. Minivans. They're not fun to drive. We all know this. But they sell wonderfully and they work wonderfully for families because they are the ultimate usability. You can't beat those doors, especially you get the electric doors. And you're talking about you got a great deal on a Sedona. You have a great warranty because it's a Kia. I get it. I get it. But then you're kind of crying and saying, all right, we have our family car. i got to do something about mine, which you have an 04 Subaru Outback, a little over 100,000 miles on it, and it's fine. Mm-hmm. But it's not. Yeah. it's an Outback. It's not a WRX. It's not really a fun car. You'd like a fun car, but you have a big commute from Ogden. What did, what's the distance on it, Paul? It's a long one. It was uh, 74 miles round trip, yeah, there I believe. It is. There it is. Yep, there it is. So, I mean, that's a, that's a good-sized commute, 30-something 30 30 something one way. And, I mean, that, I see it. But uh, you're trying to get something that will handle that. Handle, obviously, we're talking about winter here in Salt Lake Park City. Got to handle that, and you'd still like it to be a little bit fun, more fun than the Outback. This is our dilemma, and we have a, what's the Paul limiter? $25,000. <laughs> yes, he mentions the twenty-five, but he would love to stay in the mid-teens because, as you said, the Outback Sport has just over 100,000 miles, but he could keep it as a winter car only if he can do the sports car thing for like thirteen to 16000 something like this. Sure. And uh, I love your comment. I mean, you're hitting all the buttons here, Paul. You've always dreamed of owning a Porsche. I, I'm right there with you. We love the 911s. <laughs> and uh, you, you also wrench on your own cars, which is great. I love that yeah. you're, you're up for doing some, you know, light maintenance and, uh, you know, doing stuff like rear diff replacement, fuel pumps. You're actually, wow, you actually did more. Full transmission swap. And clutch replacement. All right, so uh, so you're up for the, yeah, some things, but uh, you know the simplicity is key here. You know, the more expensive the car, the more or the less inclined you are to do your own wrenching on it. But I like yeah. your list. I like your list here. Paul suggests the NC Miata, which is a car both Todd and I love. The WRX, Definitely. of course. You're already a Subaru, longtime Subi owner. It seems like Maine and Utah are. Two, two states with uh, the highest Subaru ownership. It used to be, uh, when I was growing up, it was always the Jeep in Colorado. It was sort of the, the Colorado Cadillac was a Jeep. So, Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. What else? Boxster, Cayman, 996 Carrera. You love the 2015 and on Mustang. I like that you put the Volvo S60 T5 on the list. And rounding things off, of course, Todd and Chance's cars, the BRZ and the FRS, as mm-hmm. suggestions here. And I, I, I see what you're doing. You're kind of leaning towards, you know, less money. I Very admirable. And that Outback is going to continue to run, especially if you're doing your own wrenching. It's going to keep running sure, just yeah. fine. You can use it as the beater, you know, winter car, all that kind of stuff. What else? Uh, less than 50K miles is what you're looking for. And uh, you're kind of wanting us to talk you into stuff here, which I like. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, there there is the down. obvious scenario here where Paul, as he's saying, he could he could buy just a fun car, spend less than fifteen, buy something just fun, and trade off cars. 
look, we're big believers in that. We we are all for it. I mean, you know, Paul's talking about has a couple of cars. I have a couple of cars. I mean, that that's something that we definitely believe in. However, you're, you're also talking about you're not a guy that's going to go to the track. You're not going to do autocross. This is going to be your car you commute in mainly, and you might take it to some of the local canyons to drive it now and then. So in in your case, Paul, I actually wonder if it's a situation where let's just get you one other car. Let, let's let's sell the Outback, get you one car. And so I, I kind of strayed. I know it may be surprising. I kind of strayed away from the buy the sports car alternative here and just thought, what's one good do-it-all car for Paul? And that's where my choices went. I mean, I do think, look, the, the things that Paul here on the show has listed – uh, that you wrote, the the Miatas and the Caymans and, and the FRS, BRZ. Look, we're obviously fans of these cars. We talk them up one side and down the other. You could get them. You could afford them. You would you would enjoy them. But I, I just stayed right along the lines with let's get you a new four-door that is more fun than your current one. And all my choices are like that. Hmm. All right. I'm kind of all over the map here, too, just because we could go 24,000. We could keep it 13 to 16. We could do a number of different things. I'm open if you mm-hmm. if you really want to keep the Outback, just, you know, especially if it's paid for, that's an even better thing. So I came sure, up with yeah. a, a litany of choices here, but you can kind of see why. I'll start with a car that is not on your list, Paul, and that is a BMW 135i Coupe. Guess what? Mm. Yeah. I found one with just over 60,000 miles for $18,000. And this mm. is a fun car. We love the, uh, Definitely. the, the platform. Yeah, that's a good setup. And the drivability of that car. Of course, we love the 1M, but the 135 is such, so close. It's such a great alternative, and they're so inexpensive. Now, if you want to get something newer, there's a 2013 135i Coupe for 24000 a lot less miles. Okay, mm-hmm. something to consider. I like your Porsche suggestions as well. The non-S996 Carrera Coupes with 53,000 miles are right bang on, $24,000. But so is a 2007 Cayman S with 51,000 miles. So Hmm. matches the mileage, matches the price, but not a four-door, as you're saying, Todd. I thought of this, uh, the thing that we've been talking about lately, it seems like, is the C5 Generation Corvette Z06 Coupe. Hmm. 45,000 miles for 24K. But what I'm going to end on for you is something even newer. (laughs) Okay. Back to BMW, and I found you a 2014 BMW 228i Coupe, 25,000 miles for 24K. What do you think? Ooh. Ooh. That's a good find. Those have come down. Can you believe that? That's come down a ton. I can't believe they're that cheap. (laughs) I couldn't either. Paul can't. Paul can't have that car. I want it. No, wait. No, sorry. Uh, that's that's wrong. That's totally wrong. No, but uh, but that that is surprising. I didn't think they'd come down that far at all. That's a, that's a great choice. I like that. That really gets it done. I um I stayed much cheaper and as a result older. Uh, but I I do like your options there because you stayed really new and found some cool stuff. Uh, I I stayed more on the low teens end of things. Uh, to find you something that will do all the commute stuff. It doesn't have to be a precious car. It's the thing I thought about. It's like, okay, you're going to mainly use it to commute. You want it to be fun while commuting, but, I mean, it's going to get beat on with commute and salt and, you know, bad weather and kids, and I get it. So since you don't mind wrenching, I thought, all right, let's go a little older. Let's go a little cheaper. So the ones I'm looking at are all under 15, okay? I thought of, uh, well, you've had a couple of Mazdas in your history, Paul, which I noted, actually, which I thought was interesting. You had a couple of the old Mazda 626s, so you had two in a row, so clearly you liked that car. So that made me think, wait a minute. Take a very serious look. Try to find yourself a Mazda Speed 6. That is a forgotten car, and that is a great car. We've driven that. All-wheel drive. Yes, all-wheel drive. You can get it in automatic or manual. Of course, we're going to tell you to get the manual. I think it's a great-looking car. I have to say, that is one of those cars that every time I see one, it turns my head. Every single time. There's a couple that drive around Salt Lake, and invariably, when I see one go by in any direction, I'm like, wait, wait, there's Mazda Speed 6. I always notice that car. Great stance, good looking, and they are genuinely fun to drive. So take a look at a Mazda Speed 6. Now, look, that's going to be like an 06, 07. It's not much newer than your Outback, but it is a much more interesting car than your Outback. And, uh, yeah, the, as far as maintenance is concerned, the issues with that is probably like a heat soak issue they had with that engine. But they seem to be fairly reliable 
and they've been around long enough that what I mean, it's a lot of Mazda parts bin stuff. You could certainly work on it if there was a problem. And those cars, we're talking well under fifteen. You might even be able to find one for like ten or eleven with like sixty thousand mm. miles on it. Unfortunately, some of them are higher mileage. Some of them are well over the, the mileage you have on your Outback. That's the downside. But I am finding a few here that are right around the sixty thousand mile range, and I just think, why not? That's just I, let's get one of those. So Mazda Speed Six is one. Then our counterpoint to that one, you've owned Subarus. You've, your whole family has a history of Subarus. Legacy Spec B. Oh, good. Same kind of era good of one. car. Get yeah. a Legacy Spec B. I mean, that was like 06 to 08 as well. We drove that car. We drove Sammy's massively tuned one. But even when they're not massively tuned, the Spec B is the WRX in Legacy clothing. Good looking, four-door, runs it's it's legos it's subaru legos what do you want that car to be <laughs> it's just and, and you know subarus already you've you've worked on subarus your whole family's had a history of them get that car it'll be so much fun compared to your outback i mean there's nothing wrong with the outback but it's a it's just a car the, the spec b legacy that's so cool so look at one of those and then i have to say two others leaving the all-wheel drive world one what about a mazda speed three now the new model doesn't have one but the Mazda Speed 3 is one of those cars that is fantastically dual personality. You can drive it like it's no big deal, and it's just kind of quick, and it's a good usable hatchback. You put your foot in it, and it will try to rip the steering wheel out of your hands because it just has so much power. It's a dog on a leash. It's ready to go. That's the crazy thing about the Mazda Speed 3. You could drive it very normally in the snow, winter tires, no big deal. You could hoon it in the summertime, and you would have a blast in that car. So I think that's an option. Uh, those are six-speed only, if memory serves. You haven't really talked about manual or auto, so that's at least that I didn't notice, so I'm not sure if that's an issue. You did mention in passing that you're not sure if the Fiesta ST is interesting enough. You don't know if it has that something special. I'm going to say this about the Fiesta ST. You're never going to buy that car by looking at it. Nobody would. Nobody would. It's just not that interesting looking, even in the crazy Skittles colors that I, the crazy child, like. The reason that car is awesome is because it really is that good to drive. Go at least test drive a Fiesta ST so you know. Because I have a feeling you might drive that car and be like, yeah, this is really great. Those are my four <laughs> for you, Paul. Hopefully one of them in there really gets it done. I like that. Yeah, it's been a while since we've talked about the Mazda Speed 3. And, Paul, that Fiesta ST, Todd and I have started to find them for 14 k And I'll bet you they're going even cheaper than that. I mean, that means you can keep the Outback and get yourself a Fiesta yeah, ST. You could. I mean, you could. best of all worlds. And like the Mazda Speed 3, you can hose out the interior when you're done. So no problems <laughs> there. It's, uh, yeah, kids in the back, who cares? It's, it's a Fiesta ST. Exactly. You know? Sorry, honey, the sippy cup is everywhere. We'll never find the sippy cup. We had that much fun driving today. It's buried under a seat somewhere, but it's fine. It doesn't matter. It's just ST. Got a dent from the inside out in the shape of a sippy cup because I exactly. corner around the corner too fast. Exactly. Oh, man. All right. Well, Paul, thank you so much. I uh, I think both Todd and I have noticed there's a lot of folks who live in Salt Lake that have declined to get winter tires. I think they just think, oh, I'm at a lower elevation and I'll – kind of just muddle yeah. through, except when you get blizzards like we've had. Of course, we're way up <laughs> in altitude, but I still think, yeah, tying in with the winter driving, the winter commuting, it's still going to be really important that you really consider that. So anyway, mm -hmm. let us know. I totally uh, agree. Absolutely. Let us know what you find, and yeah, hopefully we'll see it at a car club sometime since you're local. In the meantime, we'll jump into all three of our social media accounts here. Crazy questions, a lot of good ones as well. Yeah, and, great uh, ones. And I just want to jump to Instagram right here. Uh, Henry Rasmussen is asking me about my thoughts on RWB 911s. If you're not familiar, the RWB is Rowelt Begriff. It's a Japanese tuner who kind of started <laughs> in a shed screwing polystyrene to the outside of 911s. <laughs> That'll look good. I should attach that right there. Yeah. For some reason, it caught on as a thing. And they're lowered, and the track is widened like crazy. But he leaves exposed fasteners as if that's a cool thing. And I <laughs> I do say it's sacrilege. That's Henry's question here. Is it sacrilege for the RWB 911s? I say yes because most of them that I've seen, they've done nothing with the power. They look far more aggressive, and it's polystyrene, 
and you've done nothing to tune the car or do anything. I prefer the opposite, as a matter of fact. My stock-looking car or near stock is 600 horsepower and all this stuff done to it, and it's an even better car, and it surprised you. Sure. I'm I'm less into the the show and more into the go, if you know what I mean. So I yes, appreciate it. I, but, I know you uh, are. But, yeah, they look, <laughs> they look cool. They're kind of cool. But I just – I read an article about the Japanese guys, you know, sitting there, you know, just sort of hand-forming these things and spending a whole bunch of time. And I'm thinking, you really want a special 911? Get the singer, the reimagined by singer 911s or yeah, just get a normal 911 and – I. Yeah, some of these wings on these cars are just—it's—it's it's astounding. The the wing you need to like watch bridge clearance labels because you might not make it under. I mean, it's just yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's like putting the wing of the old like uh, uh, Charger Daytona on the back of a 911. I I wow. Okay, I I it's I don't get it. I don't get it. But yet here it is, and it's just one of those things. You you hit on something, and now you can just make money. I'm just I'm boggled by this. But anyway, (laughs) Uh, Eric Johnson wrote in, speaking of Porsche, Eric Johnson wrote in, I know we could talk about this for most of a podcast, but hopefully we can do it with some headlines. He wrote in and and asked the question about Porsches, the IMS bearing issue, real issue or not, is his question. And he's, he's, he's heard essentially the internet horror stories, which is if that engine, if you have an engine code that might have an IMS, do not buy that car, it's going to blow up in your driveway, and on and on the rumors go. Uh, you've had one of these cars, Paul, and I've asked a lot of Porsche mechanics about them, so um, we can speak to it just a little bit. Yes, we can. I've owned this car. It was an 07 Cayman S with that engine that uh, that people had some problems. Does it exist? Yes, in a very low percentage. But the thing to look for are cars that have been driven. I will say across the board, in general, Porsches like to be driven. They need to be driven. Mm-hmm. And as a matter of fact, the owner's manual recommends that you drive them daily. I'm not yeah. kidding. It's yeah. welcome to Porsche ownership. Your car needs driving. It needs to be paid attention to. They don't like to sit. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like we saw a trend for a while that the cars that had real low miles with these engines that had just sat were some of the culprits. Now, mm-hmm. th- there's all kinds of issues. I mean, you know, when you put racing slicks on a streetcar without a dry sump, Going around corner yeah. on a track, you can starve the engine of oil. Well, that's kind mm-hmm. of a no-brainer there. The problem. What did yeah. what did you expect? Is my question there. But people have solved the issue with the IMS bearing. If that really is a concern, I would say buy the car and next time you do the clutch, do the bearing fix. It's fourteen or fifteen hundred yeah. bucks, and it solves the problem. And you know, peace of mind. But I will say the car that I had had no problems. I tried to drive it hard and fast as much as I could. We even put that on camera. That was our first Cayman review there. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just drive it, rev it, drive it hard. And uh, it just seems well, like Porsches get better the harder you drive them for some yeah, reason. And, and, and yeah, and Porsche, Porsche's official commentary was that it was about 5% of cars. I spoke to uh, my independent Porsche mechanic about them in great detail, the guy that actually works on my wife's Cayenne. Uh, he had a he has a brother whose whose Porsche was in our Fifty Years of Nine Eleven film. I mean, this guy lives and breathes Porsches. It's what he works on, and he said that he feels like it's been at most ten percent of his customers with cars that could have had a problem. It's been most ten percent of those customers, and every single one he's had a problem with. Like Paul's saying, it's either a car that was never driven or a car that was driven on the track all the time. Those are the only ones he's had that have had IMS issues. So keep that in mind. That is very interesting how all of the ones he's driven, he feels like Porsche's 5% uh, number is low, but he feels like that number's low just because the cars are all out there now and they're all getting older, and obviously older cars, things break. But, yeah, there's a fix, too. That's the other thing about it. You're, you're not buying a time bomb of a car. You're not. Right. And right. there's a fix. If you're really concerned, the fix exists. And, I mean, you know, we could talk that uh, E90 series BMW that we like. There's, there's a, a, a goblin of an issue with that V8. Some of the, the uh, vets have got issues. I mean, pick your car. It has some sort of issue that has plagued a, a steady percentage of them. It's just this one somehow has gotten into the public awareness as a must avoid. And I would say don't, but be be smart about it, but don't feel like you must avoid those cars. Mm-hmm. Agreed, agreed. 
Well, there's a question here on Twitter from VC. Uh, looks like Vince. He's asking about our thoughts on dealerships like Vroom, which is uh, online, mm-hmm. so vroom.com, mm-hmm. in uh, relation to what we kicked the podcast off, talking about Amazon vehicles. The Amazon thing is more research than anything else. eBay, the rest, uh, Vroom, you can actually buy them. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, it, it seems like everybody is proliferating. Even TrueCar, I just looked them up, and sadly – there were no true car certified dealerships near my area. So therefore, mm-hmm. it just kind of depends on which one is near you and which one works for you because obviously true car yeah. doesn't work for me if I'm looking for something. So, sure. you know, maybe this one is near you wherever you live. And, uh, you know, gosh, there's there's so many now. It's, uh, it's insane. It just seems like maybe Vroom would get consolidated into, I don't know, something else. But uh, everybody's kind of coming up with similar ways of buying a car. It's the no haggle. I just want the car. Here's my money. Just yeah. give me the car that I want. Let's be done. Exactly. Yeah. It's back to that. Don't have to deal with a dealer. And this is interesting because you know they'll ship anywhere. And there's even a like a seven day return policy. You don't like the car and you can return it. I mean, so you can avoid a lot of those. Wait a minute. The car wasn't what I thought it was, and I got it off the trailer. And this is wrong. We'll send it back, which is fascinating. But it is all of that kind of – I hate to put it this way, but it's, it's the truth. The exact same online purchase thinking that you do to buy whatever on Amazon is now bleeding its way into cars through Amazon and elsewhere. And, and that's just the way we all want to shop now. I don't want to talk to a person. Don't put me on hold. I don't want to go see you. I just want it delivered to my house. And that's what this is. It just makes me laugh. So funny because you know, their statement here is, Vroom is changing the way people buy, sell, and trade in cars. Well, so is True Car, and <laughs> so is everybody else. Everyone in the space. else that we they're all dis- of. they're all disruptors, Paul. If we're lucky, they have a hooded uh, a, a hoodie wearing billionaire behind the scenes that's just paying them VC money so they can say they're disruptors. That's what we have to really hope. Oh, for. you're right. Yeah. Got to watch out for those hoodie wearing billionaires. They're uh, <laughs> they're proliferating. It's a scourge. It's a scourge on society. The hoodie wearing bill. Oh, anyway, moving on. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. What else here? There's so many good ones. Uh, uh, let's see. I had uh, from in, from Instagram, uh, Big J Dog. That's his uh, that's his handle. He wrote in and said, "If all of your cars blow up and you have forty grand to buy a single do it all, do everything vehicle, what is it?" And then he says, "No Chevy SS or Subaru WRX allowed," which made me laugh. I did, that made me laugh. I loved it. <laughs> I bet you I could find a Panamera for forty grand. It might have high miles, but who cares? I say Panamera. Yeah, you would probably do that. You would probably do Panamera. I can see that. I can see that. Uh, I'm still I'm still rattling this one around, but it but it does make me laugh. I um, hmm. See, my problem is I would decide to figure out how to make a ridiculous sports car work as a do it all. But honestly, you mentioned it earlier. I would probably seek out like a 228i BMW. Sure. Yeah. That's probably where I would land because it would do all the sporty car things, but it's also just a normal cruiser car as needed. And it's nice. And, you know, for that kind of money, you could get a good used one. I, I think I'm going to land there. Okay. All right. Very nice. I like it. Uh, I want to jump into uh, Mitch's question. Mitch Green is asking about what we say is the best car dynamically with unfortunate styling in the last 10 years. And then conversely, <laughs> what car had great styling but not so great dynamically, and including cars now, but I, I think you've limited it to the last 10 years, which is fine. I'll say the Z3 Coupe. I, I think that might just be outside of the 10-year mark there, but it's the shoe. Nobody, It's a love or hate kind of a thing. It's useful, mm-hmm. but the, the Z3 shoe, and yeah. it's got the dynamics of the Z3. It's actually really fun to drive. But, you know, such low production numbers and nobody really cared. And that uh, morphed itself into the Z Coupe, the Z4 Coupe there, which was better. But, again, low production Mm -hmm. numbers. But I even thought of things like, you know, Saturn Coupe. Nobody says Saturn anymore. You remember Saturn? (laughs) Who had a Saturn? Like high hopes. I had heard a story about uh, the Japanese in general. I I think it was Toyota or Honda they were freaked out by Saturn because of how it was positioned in the marketplace and kind of sure. clobber their market yeah, yeah. share. And they they just were super worried, and they bought themselves a Saturn and immediately started tearing it apart to see what had they done, mm-hmm. where did the money go, and they started laughing. Yeah. So. Decided <laughs> they had nothing to worry about. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and uh, as we can yeah, see I, years I later, a- they weren't wrong. So, Yeah. 
Um, I had a girlfriend in college who had a who her parents were all proud. The whole family was proud. They bought her a brand new. That champagne metallic we all like, brand new Saturn Coupe, and that car from new was terrible. So, yeah, that's all bad. I mean, the styling wasn't terrible in the Coupe. It was sort of, okay, interesting, a little bit different, and it seemed like every college graduation gift was a Saturn because they were the right price point. (laughs) Yeah, right. (sighs) You know, I, I I really liked that Celica GTS when it first came out. One of the oh. last Celicas, you know, the one that, <laughs> yeah. that actually shared that actually shared the Lotus Elise engine. When that first came out, the styling on that was fantastic, and it did not live up to its styling. I actually don't feel like that styling aged very well, but I remember one of the first couple that I saw in person, I was like, that's a great-looking car. Something about that styling, when it dropped, it just was very eye-catching. And then they seemed like they just were terrible. I mean, even the people I knew that owned them didn't have them very long. So I don't even know if they were very reliable. I mean, maybe I'm, I'm talking out, out of turn here, but I don't even feel like the people that bought them had them. Very, I feel like I never see them anymore. Mm-hmm. But when they first came out, they looked great. And then dynamically, they just did not. They didn't back it up. Hmm. I'm with you. I'm going to keep thinking about this question because, I mean, we could even go, you know, like Alpha 4C really looks great. Dynamically excellent, but then it's not enough. It was never enough for to to pull me away from Porsche. I thought, well, I just I still like the Cayman better. It's still so much more the overall package. I'd have to kind of bite my tongue on some areas and just say, yeah, but it looks so cool and it looks you know, love the sound, love the you sure. know the uniqueness sure, of the yeah. car, but. I I don't know. I hope there's a second generation of that, but I've heard rumors that there won't be. So we'll see. We'll see. I'd be I'd be very surprised if they make a second gen. I love the look of that car. I actually really like to drive it. The problem with it, I feel like, is when you start reaching the edges of its capability, it does surprising things, which is a terrible sentence for you as a driver. <laughs> when you're going to reach the edges of a, of what a car can do, the last thing you want it to do is surprise you. It doesn't always do the same exact thing in the same exact conditions. Whereas a Lotus Elise is very, very reliable. It's going to always act the same way at the edges of what it can do. The uh, 4C, you know, how much throttle have you applied? When did the turbo decide to come on? What little surprise does that car have for you? Which was the biggest issue with it. Very fun car to drive at like eight tenths. And actually, when you and I had that one that was the Spider, and we drove it with the top off on PCH, that was like Nirvana for that car. That was the perfect drive for that car. Oh, yeah. So, you know, yeah. Four C is cool. I just wish I wish it was. <laughs> I wish it blew the the Lotus Elise out of the water dynamically and looked like it does. But yeah. unfortunately, it doesn't. <laughs> Surprise! You're going backwards or sideways, and it was unexpected. What are you going to do now? Yeah, and, and that's the thing. You, you get in a Lotus or even a Cayman. I mean, if you find yourself backwards in one of those cars, there were breadcrumbs telling you you were headed <laughs> right. that way. You know, the, the, the information was there. You may not have perceived it, but the information was there. The Alpha just likes to just randomly be surprised now and then. <laughs> oh, that's funny. All right. Keep thinking about that one, but uh, that was good. Uh, I actually saw another one here from uh, Ted Adam Green. It's the last other one that I m- marked here. He was writing it on Facebook. But this was an interesting question. I don't know that there's a right answer here, but I'll give you my impression. What's the max... Uh, max wheel size and tire size that we would put on our own cars and why interesting now obviously you with the porsche you have what 20s on yours right on i got dubs yeah yeah <laughs> perfect you remember the the, the rimblums <laughs> you remember those it was the extra little chrome that. badge you could oh, get yeah. on your car i remember that i saw a guy in la that had a <sighs> just an old beat down impala but he had a rimblum on both front quarter panels and on the rear deck lid. That's so funny. Just to show you how big his rims were. Anyway, so rimblums. No, but I actually, I love, I really do. I love that the FRS has 17s on its stock. And when I got new wheels, I got 17s again. I kind of feel like my personal preference is 18s because I feel like you can actually get tires that aren't going to, you know, you don't have to put a second mortgage to buy tires. Right. And, um, you know, I really like 18s, but 18s don't look good on all cars. I mean, you get cars like Paul's, they actually need bigger. My personal max for a car is 19s. I just feel like beyond 19s, it's so expensive to get tires, and you've got so little sidewall, I personally stop there. It's interesting. The new Alfa Romeo Quadrifoglio has 19s, I think, is his largest size, and I feel like it looks small in that car. 
the, hmm. the proportion hmm. of the wheel wells has gone a little bit smaller. And if you look back, I mean, yeah, Volvos and all kinds of cars, we had such small wheels. And you think, how did we yeah. think that looked good? <laughs> And, you know, then we went through the the other way. Yeah. You know, the whole trend of, okay, we've gone way too far the other way. Please stop it, everybody. (laughs) Notice how nobody says dubs anymore. It's like that finally went away. And uh, (laughs) so now we're back to, you know, in the size. I think 20s are really at the upper edge. I feel like 22s maybe on some SUVs. Of course, they're big trucks already. But even mm-hmm. the Jeep that I've got has 20s, and I would never want to go bigger. I feel like even for that car, it's a little bit big, but okay, mm. I'll go with it on the Porsche. I like it because, you know, low sidewall, I think it really sets it off. It but. looks great on that car. No, the, the 20s you have on the GTS look fantastic. I will fully admit that. Yeah, I'm just – that's that's probably the biggest I'd go is 20s. Uh, the M2 apparently only is the 19s. Biggest size in the 19s, but I would be curious to see it with 20s, just just to see what it would do to the proportions. Would it turn it into a roller skate, or would it actually look good? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I feel like 18, 19s, that's just the upper limit for me. I, th- I think that's the place where it just starts to be the right balance. But, yeah, I mean, we're talking about subjective styling things, too. I mean, I, you know, I'll give you a random one. The there's a there's somebody here locally in Park City that has a Fisker Karma in that kind of charcoal color, and they drive it year round. I mean, bravo to them. I have no idea where they get it serviced, but they drive it all the time. And they drive it year round. That car, as old and as kind of uh, old news, and that was a mistake kind of car as it looks on on reflection. Man, it turns my head. It's a great looking car. That car has like twenty twos or bigger on it. Yeah. But there's a part insane. of me that, as I think, pictured in my mind. That car would look terrible with 18s. Look like it had tractor tires on it. <laughs> right, right. Or the tires would be too tall sidewall. They'd be awful. Yeah, that's what them. I'm saying. It would look like it would look like yeah. t- tractor tires. Oh, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, the yeah, massive yeah. sidewall thing. You know, right. it's just something about the. And I think they've got to be at least 22s on that car. They're massive, and uh, and it look, but it looks great because that car is just kind of a rolling concept anyway, and yet somehow still runs. Anyway, yeah. Well, I've only got one question left here from Scott Larmer here. As uh, fuel economy standards and innovation into alt-fuel tech is pushing the V8 engine out, you know, out of our you know collective conscience, out of uh, availability yeah, yeah, yeah. into cars, and as Scott here terms it, it's further and further into buggy whip territory. You're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do we see V8s as a good entry-level collector car option? like a low Hmm. production vehicle. So what Scott's asking is, are we now letting engine determine collectability of a car? And you could argue Hmm. somewhat, I mean, going way back, the Sunbeam Tiger is a great example. The Sunbeam Tigers that came with a V8 are far more collectible, rarer, and more expensive than their non-V8 counterparts. I mean, that little tiny car with a huge V8, of course, that, you know, was the Cobra era and stuffing, you know, huge huge engines. And then <laughs> yeah. I think about this, you know, that there's no replacement for displacement. That's not true anymore. I, I cannot true. come back to yeah. that. I take that point. You know, supercars, Lamborghini, they seem to be the only one left in the naturally aspirated, you know, arena now with V8s, V12s. I think Aston Martin is a little bit. But yeah. I think they're just going to be relegated to trucks and maybe a car or two, but maybe it's just supercars and trucks because – it sort of used to be that, you know, as you grew in your career and you earned more money and you stepped up to a V8 car, then you'd really <laughs> sure, arrive. Yeah. You, you drive a V8, whatever, BMW or Cadillac or whatever that is. You're really there at that point. Not so anymore. So therefore, is collectability an issue with these V8s? Well, I think maybe so somewhat because especially with the naturally aspirated V8s, I think – they're just going to be rare and rare and finally disappear because car manufacturers have found such a better way of getting power out of the the engine with turbocharging mm-hmm. and the technology is moving forward and we're going to see more electric cars. There's nothing like that. Maybe, you know, Mustang will always have to have a V8, so will the Camaro. Yeah. I think it's going to be one of those things like V12s are where it's the grand alt where you just – because you can, you step up to the V8. Not because you need to, but because you can, mm-hmm. you know? If you think about the cars that still exist now with the, with the V12s, I mean, all of them are kind of, I bought this car because I want it kind of cars. 
There's no V12 in any car that makes sense. It's always just like, yes, I did get that. And yes, it does have a V12. You know, so I think, I, I wonder if V8s are going to wind up in that kind of category where you have a car. You know, Mustang's not a bad example. You have a car where their volume seller isn't the V8, but you know what? There is that V8 big boy available. You know, I think it may be that kind of animal. I don't think it ever really goes away because I think the the American uh, engines have proven that the V8 push rods just, the engine just, it just works. It mm-hmm. just works. Yeah. It's bulletproof. Let's make another one. I think that technology is so kind of standby that it will always exist to some degree, but I think you'll see fewer and fewer just because of all of the things we're talking about an economy and all that madness. I mean, will people buy a not a V8 Corvette? Will that even... Interesting question. Yeah, interesting question. Is is it so tied to the car or would people accept, you know what, we actually got more power and lighter weight out of this alternative power plant, but it isn't a V8. Would people still buy Mm -hmm. it because... You know, it's actually a better car or, you know, are we going to keep trying to squeeze more and more out of a V8? I don't know. I don't think they're going away that fast, but we've already seen it dwindle and diminish. I mean, it's just trucks and the Mercedes AMG G63. That's really it. Well, and every manufacturer is trying to figure out how do we we cram a smaller engine with the same power into the next generation of whatever. You know, I mean, you yeah. look at the M3 lineup even. It, the, the engine grew in size and grew in size and grew in size until it quit being that fantastic inline six and now became a V8. And then the next generation, they went, you know what, just kidding. Don't, we don't need that. We're just going to do turbos. We're going to go back to the six, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I think that is indicative of what's happening kind of across the board. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes from here. And the problem is there's nothing like the sound. Nothing. Oh, true. No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I mean, we want to thank you guys, as always, for listening. Hopefully these, uh, these topic episodes will be interesting to you. We're very curious for you to send in other topics if there's things. I mean, we have a big list, but who knows what you're thinking about you'd like us to, to talk about. We're more than happy to do that. We will have some guests coming up. Of course, these car debates will continue as well. So we're thrilled to have you with us, and we love to have you rate it. Yep, and Velocity Channel for us, second quarter of 2017. So we're looking forward to that. We're uh, head down and really busy with that as well. Uh, man, it's, Understatement uh, of the day. it's coming fast. So uh, yeah, it we've is. got uh, some more fun stuff, but Todd and I are really focused on that and uh, moving forward with, uh, with shooting for that. So there'll be some fun comparisons coming up. And, uh, man, in the meantime, huge thanks. Let us know how you like these Topic Tuesdays. And if you have your own topic that you'd like us to discuss, of course, we've got a long list of stuff to talk about already. But if you've got a good, relevant thing, you know, hey uh, – you know, debate this particular arena, and it's always changing. So let us know. And also, if you have your own car debate, on the website and also Everyday Driver TV at Gmail is our main website where we see everything. So thanks again, guys. Really appreciate you being along for the ride. And until next time, cheers.